0: You're listening to Behind the Headlines, a weekly news talk show hosted by the Express News Group, publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com and Express Magazine, and featuring distinguished journalists from the East End to discuss what's news on the North and South Forks of Long Island. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the Managing Editor of the Express News Group. I'm joined today by my co-host, Annette Hinkle, the Arts and Living Editor for the Express News Group. Good morning, Annette.
1: Hey Bill, how are you?
0: Good. Our panelists are are, our regular Denise Siboletti, editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Joe Workmeister, staff writer for Newsday. Good morning, Joe.
2: Good morning. How's everybody
0: doing? Good. And and Chris Walsh Walsh is is joining us again. He hasn't been on for a little while. He's the senior writer for the East Hampton Star. Good morning, Chris. Morning, Bill.
3: Good morning, everyone
0: well i before we start i just wanted to um make a, a a little correction last week in our conversation about um the south fork wind project i had erroneously said that um fishermen commercial fishermen and recreational fishermen were, would be um would, would get some of the um pilot program pilot payments that. Um, that um that the developers are paying to the town it's like 30 million dollars over over 30 years um that that was incorrect um what i should have said is the east hampton town trustees um will be sharing in, in some of that money and um had had said that hopefully some of that would be directed to um to the fishing industry but i i don't know that that that's the case so i did want to correct that we had a um uh a reader who had um reached out to the radio station to help us correct that um so um my my apologies for that um moving on so um I I wanted to start in in East Hampton Chris and, and talk about um the proposed senior center there which has been in the works for um for a few years now but I I think we we recently heard um about the price tag for construction of that and it's like 32 million dollars, which seems like a lot of money, but I think everybody's, um, everybody's pretty much set to move forward with that. I mean, they were talking about, you know, minor, minor cost cutting, um, efforts that they could do, but, um, everybody recognizes the need, um, the need for it and the need to get it built. And, and kind of, I think the attitude was the, the, the prices is, is the price,
3: right? Right. Well, a, a few things on that, Bill. I think, you know, this is an affluent town and we've got a growing um, 60 plus demographics. So, you know, I've, in in a lot of ways, there's reason enough to say go for it. Nonetheless, of course, we should keep an eye on how our tax dollars are spent. Sure. Um A couple of people came to the public hearing to uh, talk about that and urge them to maybe tap the brakes or take a harder look at the costs and all of the amenities that are planned for it. One of them was former councilman Jeff Bragman, who in his four years on the board was very often the voice of let's slow down here and know before we go, as he used to say. Um, It's a lot of money. It has ballooned over the years, as another resident pointed out. Um, you can quibble with the design, and some people do uh but the interior certainly looks like it's um a beautiful, bright space that has an that will have a lot of amenities and um, they break ground around mid twenty twenty four with schedule completion the end of twenty twenty five so I think there's a lot of excitement, especially if you've seen the existing senior center um it's an old old building um it's it's not quite large enough to accommodate and as as I say with the growing demographic of sixty plus. And a lot of the programs that are desired, I think, in town, so that people 60 plus can remain active. Um, one other thing I would say about this that hasn't been discussed is that you know the Surgeon General has spoken about uh, loneliness being an epidemic and being uh, a real hazard. You know, it's uh, Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times writes about how um, loneliness or people living isolated lives alone—it's it's akin to having six drinks a day in terms of what it could do to your physical health. Wow. Um, things such as that you know a lot of uh, ills such as uh smoking and whatnot um this is this is as bad um allegedly and you may see that in all of the um opioid addiction across the country and deaths of despair and such so i think that's something that hasn't been said is that you know a a place for people to come together and socialize and remain active with classes such as yoga meditation physical fitness, et cetera, it's a pretty good thing. So it's an exciting thing, but it is a costly thing that we're taking on here. Are
0: are they going to be expanding some of the services from, from the current senior center? I mean, are there going to be, um, I, I mean, as far as, as, as meals and, you know, and that type of thing, or is it going to be about, about the same just in a, in a newer building?
3: I think there is call for more and, um, Supervisor-elect like Kathy Burke Gonzalez uh, talks about this very often about, about senior services and also mental health among teens and such, too. So she's so plugged into that, I think, with the Human Services Department. Yes, I think the plan is for more and um, because the expectation is that that more people will be served as time goes on.
1: Yeah, it looks we're, like they from... were going to have a really large kitchen, too, right? Like the food service sure. thing um, it seems like it was going to be largely expanded, um, which makes sense, I think. Right.
3: Exactly. Yeah. They do serve. I um, don't quote me on this. I thought it was something to the tune of 550 odd lunches a week. Um, I hope I've got that right. (laughs) Uh, They're they're about, and and they also, right. And they make frozen meals to deliver to people at home as well or for pickup. So again, there's a lot of focus on um, making sure that shut-ins are uh, part of the community or receive wellness checks. um,
2: Yeah.
3: Once again, this town skews older than the average, you know, countywide, nationwide. And and continues to 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 age out a little bit. Right. right. I mean, as time goes by, it's just
2: going to be the older, older population. What, yeah. what, yeah, what I, I was just go ahead. Sorry. Bill. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, as I as you think about what, a, you know, the responsibilities of, of a local you know town government, you know, what, what, what should they be providing for their uh, residents? Something like this would seem to really be um, you know, in line, with what you would hope, you know, your local government is is spending some some of the hard earned tax money on it and supporting that population. As you said, you know, it's an older uh, demographic there in East Hampton, and it's, these services are uh, you know needed. And there's a lot of people as they get older, they who, who are struggling to you know have uh, enough uh, food on the table and are you know um, you know in financial. Um, Uh, difficulties and and rely on those services for food it's very important uh obviously and then you know this project also falls in line with the town's you know kind of larger goals of uh trying to become more um more you know green energy and 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 the design of this uh you know was focused on uh you know those that net zero um net carbon zero whatever they call it um part of that uh, goal as well so
0: is that what's accounting for some of the some of the higher prices or or is it just Inflation and, and supply chain
3: stuff over the last few years. Um, right, Bill, that is certainly part of it. Um, you know, the town declared a climate emergency in 2021. Um, I would say that the town's been pretty forward thinking when it comes to climate change and renewable energy. So, yes, the plan calls for um, solar canopies and um, the the. Uh, allegedly, they will make every effort to be net zero. The commercial kitchen is one thing that that could be an impediment to that. But yes, um, you could design this and build it for less were you to um, jettison things like the solar canopies. But um, again, thinking forward and thinking long term, and this is a facility that, you know, is expected to last decades. Um, the the climate emergency declaration uh, compels the town to make every decision through that lens you know of of bending down the emissions curve so to um uh, do it at the front end is probably cheaper in the long run as well yes you could save some money by uh, foregoing those things but in the in a year in which we've seen temperature records broken all over the place uh, including very this very week is, if i'm not mistaken seems like the right thing to do It's also a really, really big, it's like, what, 22,000 square feet.
1: That's a sizable building. So I also Mm -hmm. think it's interesting given what East Hampton went through a number of years ago when it did a, a school expansion at the high school. You know, and then and then people came back and said, "Well, if you looked at the demographics, you could see the school population was actually going down, and did it justify spending seventy million or something on that?" So I think it makes sense to start you know spending money on the other end of the continuum where you're going to have an aging population that's going to be moving right in there. So you know, if they spent that kind of money on the high school, why not spend it on the seniors, right?
0: Sure, well, and I think the you know the the point that um, you know that that Chris brought up the socialization is, is just really important, and I know that in in Southampton Town they've put a lot of resources into you know the, the senior program, and there's you know there's a few different um, um, outposts for that. I know the Flanders one, Denise is um, has has done a, a tr- tremendous job. I think they've they've had a they had I, I don't know if it's still running or not, but they had a a, a program for. Um, you know, people with dementia and, and and Alzheimer's, kind of a daycare program for for seniors, and and it just, um, you know, I I think that loneliness point is really important. It gets people together, um, lets them socialize, be around other people, have conversations. Um, you know, I know my father's, you know, getting, you know, aging out, and and, um, you know, it's just it's so important to you know, to be able to communicate with other seniors and, you know, and, and talk about issues that, that are, that they're going through that, that come along with, um, with age.
4: Absolutely. Um, the nice thing, one of the nice things I think about, um, the Flanders center is that it's really very intergenerational. There are a lot of things going on there. It's not like just seniors. And I think that's really, I mean, it's, been a lot written about this that oh. it's um, important to provide that kind of interactivity with other generations with, with seniors. A lot of people are pretty isolated from their own families because people have you know moved all around the country and their folks are not around. Um, their elders the way they used to be, and so um, they need the older people need to rely on other other inputs for uh, that kind of interaction. Um, there's a really good senior program in the town of Riverhead too, as well as in the town of Southhold. I mean, I think all the towns, I don't know anything about Shelter Island, but I think all the towns out here have really stepped up um in that regard, um, in terms of programs and activities and meals and things. Um, and that came you saw that the importance of that really, especially during the COVID pandemic.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, it became kind of like a a hub of um, you know, outreach to the senior community. So uh, they were delivering meals, delivering groceries, um, things like that. So, um, doing
0: welfare checks and make sure everybody's yeah, OK.
4: yeah. So that's the reality in the aging community. I mean, what Chris was saying, like I think all the East End towns. I don't know about Southampton. That may not be true, Southampton. But even Riverhead, where I think we have, judging by our school age population, <laughs> a younger overall population than some of the other East End towns. It's still older than the state average. Um, and so, you know, there's people of, of um, you know, family rearing age are moving away um, to start families and there are fewer younger people around. And, you know, that's like a really big issue that really transcends a lot of this is like, you know, where what hap- what the impacts of this aging population on, you know, our government, our society in general out here. when you know the people are the demographic that always provided things like volunteer fire and ambulance services you know are those folks are no longer around in sufficient numbers and we see you know people having a hard time recruiting for those agencies um, but you know we're going to see i think an increase of town local government tax dollars going to 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 support those services whether it's you know Senior, you know, interaction with seniors and meals and things like that, or just providing emergency services and things. Um, so it's, I think this is an issue that is going to it touches a lot of other issues. Um, and it's good that they're that they're making that an investment. I don't know anything about what the what the senior center is like now in East Hampton, but um, it, it could use some refreshing. Yeah, so that's that's a great thing. Yeah
0: so so what's the um what what's the status of of the East Hampton project at this point Chris I mean are they they're they're still talking about it or 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 they're ready to to move
3: forward or um they're having Something. hearings they're about ready to go the public hearing happened um drew two comments uh the record was left open until I believe yesterday uh mm-hmm. Mr Bragman was going to submit some comments um but if you recall his time on the board it was um Tense sometimes, <laughs> and uh, that, that's know, a not, word. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the I think the town board is is ready to move with with Supervisor Elect Birkenzell is about to um, assume that office. I imagine she would be very gung ho to <clears throat> make this thing uh, happen sooner rather than later. And, and she be a, she's been involved with this project since since the beginning, right? Yeah, and I'd say too. I just want to add that you know things really had to step up when COVID hit, as far as wellness checks. Um, the isolation, of course, was uh, through the roof for so many people for so long, um, and we're still digging out of that in a way. I mm-hmm. think. So yeah, I, I think that it's it's you know they're 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 looking to begin clearing next month, and that has to do with the window for the um the bat that which is endangered or threatened. Uh, so they're going to start clearing next month. With the groundbreaking scheduled for about June, I believe, and completion December twenty twenty five. So it's a big long term project, but. Um,
1: and it's not on the same site as the current one, right, Chris? It's different. No,
3: site. that's right. against This is on land the town acquired some years ago, a seven acre parcel, part of a larger parcel, and it's adjacent to some ball fields on um, Abraham's Path. So uh-huh. not quite as centrally located as the last one, but pretty close.
1: So do you know what they, they've talked about, what they'll do with the old um, senior center?
3: I I have not heard any discussion of that. I think uh, demolition sounds like a good plan because yeah, that building is 100 years old.
1: Apparently, it used to be a bar, so <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: it
1: was a club, like a nightclub. Yeah, well,
0: it would be interesting uh, to see what they do with that uh, with that property, though. Maybe, uh,
3: yeah, maybe yeah, an opportunity money. for housing or something good point but as i say it's a very old building i think um maybe demolition might be the in order before anything no. else but, um, again that's that has not been discussed to my knowledge
0: well, this is uh, behind the headlines on wliwfm i'm bill sutton from the express news group my co-host this week is annette hinkle from the express news group Panelists this week: Denise Cibaletti from Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister from Newsday, and Chris Walsh from the East Hampton Star. Um, let's uh, move to to Riverhead, Denise. So Riverhead is considering regulations on the sale of lithium batteries, which is is something that um, that no other no other town is looking at at this rate. Right? Maybe kind of a, a new thing, right?
4: Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not. Able to make a sweeping statement like no other town is doing that. I don't. I don't really know. I. I think certainly. I think the first town on the East End that um, has gone in this direction, and um, they've actually adopted they at their last meeting they adopted this code to regulate them, um, inspired by um, you know some of the um, scooter and e bike um battery fires that have proved uh, fatal in a couple of instances uh right here in new york so um they are
0: and, and that's the battery the kind of batteries that we're talking about is is the one well, they're so. talking
4: about those as well as any any other lithium batteries that are um offered for sale or sold in the town um you know that replacement batteries for your cameras for your you know like any re- rechargeable or not rechargeable lithium batteries. So um there's a lot of products like that. It remains to be seen how they're going to even ever hope to enforce something like this. I, I don't really well, know what
0: what what exactly are the regulations?
4: Um, they are requiring that the batteries are be um, certified by a national nationally recognized testing lab. To comply with Underwriters Lab standards, you know, when you see the little like UL symbol on on mm-hmm. things, uh, anything electrical, <laughs> um, including batteries, um, they are um, they're attempting to kind of prohibit the sale of sort of knockoff batteries, imported batteries that are, you know, um, not up to this, those standards, haven't been tested, and have been the source or believed to be the source of some of these uh, fires, including the fatal fire in, um, I guess, it was in Chinatown in New York City not that long ago. Um, so um, there are some localities that are looking at um, prohibiting um, the storage of e-bikes with batteries within buildings, like within multifamily buildings. That seems to me to be a logical way for um a town government that has like zoning power to uh exercise that that power, and I think might be like you could do that through site plan. it could be a little more readily enforced I think than this this is like point of sale, so it's gonna require um you know personnel to actually go and look at what's being offered for sale in any variety of stores, whether it's you know some like one of the big box stores on route fifty eight to uh, one of the um, like multi-services stores along or various places around town that are like kind of convenience stores on steroids. <laughs> um, and um, and, know, and who
0: would be in charge of, of enforcing that? I mean, you, you mentioned enforcement earlier. How do you, I mean, is that code yeah, enforcement? I mean, it,
4: it would be code enforcement, um, the code enforcement office, which is already like overtaxed in terms of you know the person available personnel, so I guess the police could do it too. I don't, I don't really know, but mm-hmm. they put this on the books, and you know, maybe it will be a, a deterrent. Like even if it's not, enfor- adequately enforced. I don't know.
1: I wonder I mean, if the what- box stores are are moving that way, anyways, just because mm-hmm. of all of the problems. You know, I mean, just like I was just thinking, like even when you just, you know, it's seasonal. Go and buy Christmas lights. You know, I feel like you see fewer and fewer of those christmas lights that don't have that ul tag on it you know mm-hmm. like maybe the industry itself will start policing and retailers will be like we don't want these things in our i mean why would they want them in their warehouses I mean,
4: think they wouldn't stores? want them in their stores even exactly like I, you know. right, right right so um anyway i just i mean you know it's it's a serious problem potentially and so you know kudos to town for um attempting to address it um you know and if it has a deterrent effect or, you know, um, results in any of these, like, potentially dangerous batteries being taken off the shelves and out of people's homes, I mean, you know, they are, they do present a problem. I mean, we had, it was a, a number of years ago already, but a house, like, was destroyed by fire in akbog that started with a cell phone battery, um, you know. I, it it can happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know anything about the stat, like what that battery, whether it was UL certified, listed, or anything like that. I don't know. But it did start, you know, the fire marshal said it did start with that. So, uh, you know, it can happen. It's Everybody should, you know, be aware of the signs of battery failure. Like anytime you see on, on, a, on a laptop or a tablet or a phone, like any swelling where the battery is, that's a red flag. you should take that out of service right away. Um, when things get overly hot that that's another issue, another problem. so we should all I think whether we have batteries with the right u l listed marks on them or not we, we need to be aware of that um, as batteries age they can they can fail so mm-hmm. um, are,
0: are there any similar? regulations on other products that i mean it's just um i think it's a great thing but it just strikes me odd that that the town is 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 regulating kind of retail sales is is there anything else similar that the town is I I mean, obviously, the state the state (laughs) comes in and regulates alcohol and tobacco.
4: Marijuana
1: is like that, right? Well, (laughs) I mean,
4: yeah, kind of, but they're they're restricted by the state what they can do, and I, you know, with that in that department. Um, Well, that's
1: like where I come from. They have dry counties in Ohio, so this place you can buy beer, this place you can't. You know, like whatever county line liquor stores, big deal, right? So it's I guess it's not unheard of, right?
2: That's interesting.
4: I don't know that I, I just don't know of any other like particular product mm-hmm. that the town has stepped in and said, you know, I mean, like New York City, there's a lot of different reg- rules and regulations about, right. things, you know, but I, in terms of a local, you know, town out here, I, Riverhead anyway, I don't know of any, I could, could be wrong. I mean, I haven't gone through the code yeah. looking for that, but um I've good good
0: for good for them. Did they explain their motivation in it? Other than,
4: well, just you know what was happening in the news, um, you know what they've heard about, and that it's a danger. I mean, um, they started talking about these batteries kind of in in relation to. I think um, the the battery energy storage facilities right. because they adopted this code and it was pretty controversial. That they adopted this code that allows those facilities in town, and there was a lot of back and forth about how those batteries and those facilities are different from the ones that just, you know, had these fires and that present a the danger. These consumer batteries, kind of. Um, and then shortly after that, maybe because of that discussion and learning about some of the bad, some of the dangerous posts, I think um, Council Member uh, Bob Kern introduced this uh idea to the town board and it went through you know the code code revision committee etc and they came up with this so
0: that's really interesting
4: yeah it's a good thing for people honestly to be aware of it's a really important like consumer protection uh issue that everybody should you know be up to speed on and pay attention to because it can be dangerous well, well like you said if, if not. If
0: nothing else, I mean, it educates both the um, the retailers and and the consumers that, you know of dangers and you know and all that. Maybe it can be used that way. Interesting. Um, let's uh, let's move back to 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 Chris and we're talking about environmental issues. Um, I I I thought this was this story was was really interesting, and I know that that. Um, you know that we wrote about it, and 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 you wrote about it. The Nature Conservancy um, wants to begin a program to restore salt marshes um, on on the East End, um, in, including um, Acabonic Harbor, um, uh, Mashamic Preserve, in Sag Harbor, um, the Shinnecock uh, Nation territory, um, and I think a couple other Belport and in a couple other areas. Um, the salt marshes that have been um, destroyed for hundreds of hundreds of years in an effort to to kind of bring back that original
3: ecosystem, right? Right, the East Hampton Town Trustees took this up recently, I think it was around the end of last month, there was discussion, uh, John Aldred of the trustees presented this to his colleagues. Um, Michomak on Shelter Island, just to clarify, I think you said Sag Harbor, Bill. Oh, oh my mistake, I'm sorry. So, yeah, the, um, you know, it's nearly 25 years since the West Nile virus was discovered in mosquitoes in in and around New York City, and that uh, can sicken people uh, pretty seriously. Um, It's been some years now that the trustees have participated in a um, program to sample water or marsh areas or mosquito larvae. In Acabonic, and that has enabled the county to do much more targeted application of methoprene, a larvicide, and it has made a difference in mosquito populations on the east end. So, the next step, and because um, Acabonic has had this degree of study and activity, next step is to try to restore and uh, get rid of some ponding issues in areas where uh, that, that um, become hot spots for breeding. And uh, this is a a way to do it. He didn't get too deep into the discussion and it's, um, it's not imminent, I don't think, but this is apparently going to be a remediation effort that hopefully will go a long way toward, um, taking things back to the way they were, but also, um, I, I mean, for, for years, for, for years and years and, 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 and decades,
0: I mean, you know, the effort to control the mosquito mosquitoes, you know, was, was digging these, these, um, trenches. Um, through through these marshlands and
3: and kind of um, you know destroying them, right? Yeah, right. So um, restoration, I think it's a a positive development if and when it happens. Sure. Um,
0: you, you talked about you know the I, I mean there's always been controversy you know not only with the trenches but with the um, you know the the spraying for for mosquitoes. Does that does that lessen the need
3: for for chemicals? I mean, if these marshes are restored, or that is the expectation, and hopefully, yes. Um, it's been quite a few years that um, you know. The, certainly, some people do. Um, the science may be unsettled, or the opinion certainly differs as to whether or not larvicides uh, affect non-target species. Um, right there. There is a, a relationship between mosquitoes and um, crustaceans, for example, and um, uh, the, the the reasons are many, perhaps. But you know, lobsters are not around our waters as much as they used to be. Um, that's probably to do with temperature and perhaps a combination of stresses. But um, <clears throat> as I said, uh, it's not just West Nile. Um, mosquitoes can carry a number of viruses, and if um, if this can control that population, certainly a positive
1: so do we think that the is the state in, um willing to help finance this? I'm just wondering with the nature conservancy is that about actually paying for this work? is it or are they going to try to do like fundraising and do it as a as a being you know, a nonprofit organization?
3: I don't believe it came up, you know, I'm sorry mm-hmm. to uh, to be uh, to draw a blank on that, but I don't think that was discussed yet.
1: Yeah, i just I just wanna because I feel like you know the nature conservancy, I mean, they definitely, you know, do a lot of fundraising, but I'm wondering if those kinds of projects they would try to do on their own or maybe try to, you know, get funding from i, I'm I, think, the state, I right? I think,
0: I think NOAA was was involved too. I don't I know if that has to do with funding or just helping them to to administer the program that's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric
3: Administration. What's what's their involvement? You know, Bill, the issues come and go. And uh, as soon as we finish one, it's on to the next one. And it's almost out of sight, out of mind. So I um, thank you for bringing that up, um, both of you, because yes, in the very first sentence of my article on the November 30th <laughs> issue, it says right here, if the Nature Conservancy's proposal to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric, Atmospheric Administration for funding of five such projects on Long Island is accepted. There you go. Thank you. (laughs) I'll
1: be your editor today, Chris. It's like, wait a
3: minute.
0: (laughs) Well, it's an, it's an interesting project and, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, we see, we see proposals like this to, to help, you know, restore the damage that, um, that we've done over, over years and, you know, and, and, and centuries and, um, to 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 try to counter some of you know the changes and and changes that we're seeing probably from from climate change or whatever i think anything we can do to 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 kind of help that that ecosystem to you know return to what it was is
1: um, that would bring back some of that eelgrass that they've been trying to get to regrow out there in the bays. i don't know if that has anything to do with it but you know could turn hurt right
3: it's very much needed for habitat mm-hmm. You're um,
0: you're listening to Behind the Headlines on WLIW FM. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. My co-host is Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. Our panelists this week are Denise Civiletti from uh, Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister from Newsday, and Chris Walsh from the East Hampton Star. Um, let's let's go back to um, Calverton. <laughs> it's our favorite topic. Um, Denise, the uh the enterprise park there. The 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 latest thing is is a promote, proposed amendment um for the zoning of, of the enterprise park. And and I guess there was some discussion about the the level of aviation use um at the project and what that should be in the future. And and I know that you know we've we've moved away from you know from the big proposal for the um For the jet park there, for the time being, anyway, what um, what's the discussion now?
4: Well, this kind of grew out of that actually, because um, the um, town board members, um, incoming supervisors, uh, uh, supervisor-elect Tim Hubbard, and uh, his running mates. All said, you know, they do not favor like sort of heavy duty, not to be too technical, like (laughs) heavy duty aviation uses there. And that was never anybody's intention along the way. And, um, you know, they he introduced, um, you know, the the measure to essentially using town code to specifically ban certain types of uses like uh, cargo uh, planes. and. Um, flight testing and just like certain things that would be more intense. Um, The idea, they say, was for the the use of that site was um, for tenants in the industrial park to be able to use the runways to, you know, for their own personal use, basically. And that did not include things like even if a tenant was um, a logistics center, which didn't exist back then, but it didn't include using the runway. For you know, receiving freight um, to then you know sort and ship out at, at a logistics center located. What, what would market.
0: those what would those personal uses be if a tenant was using it for personal use?
4: Well, I mean, you know, transporting a, a plane landing to um, you know bring people in for meetings. Um, we mm-hmm. have planes landing to bring in uh, you know parts. They say um, you know. For many years, uh, Skydive Long Island was operating out out of um, out, out of EPCAL, and um, they used their planes to take people up to go take skydiving lessons and and go skydiving. Um, so it's been a little <laughs> fuzzy because they've been talking about things like historical uses there, and while well, historical uses there were in fact you know manufacturing. Uh, fighter jets for the U.S. for the U.S. Navy, and um, while those planes did not land and take off with great frequency, um, when they were, you know, testing the engines and doing that and and testing the planes, um, you know, it was it was pretty, you know, noisy. Certainly, <laughs> um, I remember being in a canoe with Peter years ago, and I like I didn't even know what the heck it was. It was just this loud roar. I I jumped so hard I almost t- tipped us over. We were in the Peconic River back up there, <laughs> and um, I had never been that close to that site when they like revved up one of those engines. Um, so certainly the people who lived there then, um, you know, lived with this noise. But the prospect of kind of daily tr- jet traffic coming in and out to deliver freight to a logistics center um, on the runway uh, really upset a lot of people. And, and so this kind of grew out of that. And they're attempting to kind of ban those uses, ban, you know, rather intense aviation uses. They had a public hearing on it. Um, there were people who said that these rule, this new zoning didn't go far enough. Um, but, um, you know, I don't know whether they're going to make any amendments to it. I do know that it was not scheduled for you know this upcoming meeting as of as of yesterday anyway it wasn't on the agenda that was distributed for uh, Tuesday's upcoming meeting for adoption so we'll see if that appears but um, maybe they're working on they didn't really they didn't really explain or say anything
0: um, aren't, aren't I mean aren't the runways at, at at that site I mean part of the big draw? I mean, isn't that what 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 gives that that property some some unique value? Or or do you think that they would rather rather it just be turned into an industrial site?
4: I mean, for sure, it gives them unique value. And so I I, I feel like Riverhead as a community and town government can't quite make up its mind what it wants because, you know, it's got this storied past that everybody loves that, you know, uh, it's kind of like patriotic to love, you know, Grumman and what and what they did in the F-14 Tomcats and everything, you know. Uh, and then on the other hand, there's the reality of it's much more populated in the immediate area today than it was back in the day when those things were taking, you know, taking place there. And so, you know, there's a lot of people now. They're like, wait a minute, <laughs> you you want to do what? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, you know.
0: Well I, I think I the I the idea of a car, jet cargo hub was was a, a you know a a, a bit certainly a, a a bit much and nobody wanted to see that but I, I think that you know finding a way to utilize those those runways whether it's um you know ex- experimental stuff or or you know that type of tech tech you know a a tech centered um you know development might it's is kind of interesting
4: yeah, I mean, that's kind of what, um, theoretically, anyway, attracted uh, that guy, Daniel Preston, to this site, because he wanted to be able to use the runways to test his, um, you know, unmanned aerial vehicles, don't call them drones, um, <laughs> that were going to, pre- you know, have perpetual flight and bring internet to parts of the globe that didn't, you know, et cetera. Um, but anyway, he, um, you know, they wanted to use the runways. So I think they w- the town would like to have People like that—only people who are, you know, actual serious people who know what they're doing—to to to, um, do that kind of work at the site. I I think the town recognizes that it made a colossal mistake in including the runways in this contract of sale to the Triple Five Group because they gave up all control of them, and so um they've said we're never, you know no no other contract that we're going to sign is going to do that like we're not going to do that um mm-hmm. i think that maybe some people are thinking that if they get the these these rules down pat and get them in shape enough maybe that won't matter so much i don't know um because the rules also this zoning code also said prohibits um anybody that, is a tenant or owner of any land in the site from registering the runways or registering the site with the FAA. Like it's kind of tries to block block them from going to the FAA to get assistance with the runways and rehabilitating the runways. Mm -hmm. So, and using the runways, which as we know in East Hampton, right, that was like a big, that was a big problem for the local community because once the FAA was involved,
3: it just
0: removes local control. The local government,
4: has, yeah. you know, no control over it. So, I I don't know. I think it's kind of like maybe on their part, sort of a multi pronged approach, and we'll kind of we'll see what happens. I mean, I feel like there's a a chance anyway that um, that triple five uh, that that deal's not done yet. I mean, they've said they told me that they they've been trying to get the town to t- to talk to them again and and mm-hmm. to pursue you know. Uh, That contract, Um, that contract had the existing contract anyway, has in it a well, the the former contract because they terminated it, has a provision in it that said that prohibited the town from changing the zoning for five years after the closing date so that the town would not, if that contract were in effect, the town would not be able to do what it's planning to do or considering doing Um, With with these new rules. Um, Hmm. So
2: have we seen any litigation yet from on the triple five? No,
4: no. So I don't think I mean, they said that they've been talking with the town because I asked them about it because both the town and town board and the IDA acknowledge receiving correspondence from uh, their attorneys. And so I asked that the IDA and the town board wouldn't say anything more. They just acknowledged that they had correspondence from their legal counsel. So I went then to Triple Five and then I got a response from their PR guy who said um, he just sent me like an email chain sort of, of, uh, you know, from the attorneys who are like kind of high powered litigation, uh, contract litigation lawyers. (laughs) So I don't know. Um, But, uh, you know, some litigation uh, a statement from them or from triple five written by the attorneys saying you know we are still we are, we reached out we're interested we want to talk with them we're interested in pursuing this so i you know I feel like it's kind of still all up in the air i mean they, uh,
0: do you think there would be be any um do you think the town board members would have any interest in in doing that given the the public backlash to the to the proposal
4: they say no absolutely not um I think I, I think there's J- January is
0: another day though right
4: <laughs> yeah I, I mean I think there's a chance that if they get the the zoning code and and sufficiently locked down to prevent that kind of intense use there's a chance they may go back to the table and talk to these folks because you know they did a lot of the groundwork you know to get get there I don't know if they would be able to pry any more money out of them or not. But uh, I imagine that Triple Five would really like to close this deal because it was a good deal for them in terms of the the price of the land and stuff. So, I mean, you know, $40 million for 1,644 acres. That's $25,000, just under $25,000 an acre. Um, That's a pretty good deal for a a, a piece of property like that, zoned industrial on Long Island. with runways, so, with yeah. runways, or maybe even without runways—I don't know. <laughs> so
2: would would be pretty wild if they ended up with triple five after all this in the yeah, end, anyway.
4: <laughs> I, I, it sure would. I mean, I—I kind of I'm coming from a, a place where you know, Joe, like, is anything not possible <laughs> in no. Riverhead? I don't know. You know, anything's yeah, definitely. possible.
2: Nothing's so I feel ever, like no, you know, right?
4: I, I still feel like it's more up in the air than the like the facts on you know on the surface it would indicate and we'll see I don't know
0: you never um, know what a judge is going to do too if it ends up being if litigated. it
4: ends up in court yeah so yeah. should be interesting <laughs>
0: so let's um let's let's pivot back out out east um Christopher you had written um uh, a story about the proposed um uh traffic circle in 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 Montauk between Fort Pond and, and Fort Pond Bay It's, a, it's the um, five way intersection there that's um i I guess uh, there's some safety concerns, but it's also an um uh, you know um, trying to correct some of the the flooding there that happens all the time, right
3: right um I didn't I just say this is an affluent town a little while ago, yeah, and yet we've got some areas that, that look like a developing country still sometimes, and uh, that's one of them i've driven through there through about a foot of water it's it's it can be pretty outrageous and that's the topography in a way you know there's there's the elevated railroad tracks but it's otherwise very low-lying you've got Fort pond on one side at that intersection and uh, and the bay a short distance away and then this this curious um confluence of roads that can be confusing it can be dangerous jim grimes who's a town trustee but also a landscape architect or or designer i don't want to get that wrong uh has a shop right there there are other businesses there mickey's uh carting and um a couple of other businesses right there so they they've been witness to accidents they've been uh wading through if you will the the water when it happens And it and when you have these events in the winter and it all freezes. It's you know, we 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 can do better. So a, it um, makes it makes a scary intersection even scarier when it when it's icy, right? Yeah. Now is am am I crazier? Wasn't there a movie with maybe Rob Lowe back in the late '80s that has a scene of that hairpin turn? I think there is, and maybe there's an accident there. So um, a movie buff maybe can check me on this, but. Um, but it's a, there's a hairpin turn as, as industrial turns on to second house and vice versa. And that's where the overwhelming majority of the traffic is, but there are other roads there too. Some other spokes leading to that hub. So a consulting engineer discussed this with the town board earlier this week. And, um, you know, that was a last minute addition to the agenda because it's been discussed a lot in the Montauk citizens advisory committee has been talking about this for a long time. It's a, a project that really needs doing, but there's still no timeline on it. Um, but most, most people in favor of the traffic circle because I know there there's not
0: a lot of traffic yeah. circles the further east you go. I'm a big fan of them and we have them all over in you know in, in Riverhead and, and even more you know, more and
3: more in, in Southampton town, but well, yeah, I think I've heard it said that, you know, Americans just don't get these things, <laughs> whereas and they may be more common and, and accepted in Europe. But I think when they do come in, and if you think it, of the one at uh, Route 114 and um, the confluence of streets there, Baiting Hollow, is it? Um, it When it was put in, I think it's helped because it necessarily slows traffic. So if there are collisions, they're pretty low impact versus what you see at a at a traditional intersection. Um it takes getting used to of course and you just got to remember to yield to the traffic on your left but if and when this happens you know there was a great improvement made at um a nearby place also very near the bay at rough riders landing in montauk right near the montauk train station the railroad station so um again you know government moves slowly and yeah. that's partly sign. but um Well, and and they were they they wanted to get um, the people nearby wanted to be done before the the, the summer season. Exactly. Exactly. Jim Grimes was adamant about that, said, please don't do this at the height of the season.
1: Um, Can I ask, is that I get the sense is that's a fairly industrial kind of area, though. It's not like a a heavy through traffic kind of situation there, I'm thinking, right? mm.
3: Yes, to the first part. Um, I would say that uh, not so much. You know, off season, it's pretty quiet out here now. But uh, in the summertime, you know, that's pretty well trafficked in the Even summer. There's a
1: cut through, I guess, to get around. Yeah, exactly. I,
3: exactly. Yeah. I, for one, do not like turning left on from Industrial Road on to uh, Edgemere in the summer. You've got the Surf Lodge right nearby. and. Uh, it seems like tens of thousands of very beautiful young people walking, you know, walking <laughs> along the well, side of the coast. Of,
1: speaking of beautiful young people, I believe the movie you're referring to is Masquerade circa 1988.
3: Okay. Thank you so much. Isn't the lobster roll also? <laughs> the, lobster roll.
1: the lobster roll yeah. advertises good, good, it on good, venues, all the famous people that have eaten at the lobster roll, including Rob Lowe and Meg Tilly during the creation of Masquerade oh, in 1988. Beautiful. Just for, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just put it oh. out there.
0: Ooh, I, really know I know you. what i'm watching this weekend
1: <laughs> is that, is that <laughs>
2: available on netflix
1: oh i'm sure it is they <laughs> the might only, pay you to watch it at this point
3: you what i really remember about that movie is the scene in the lobster roll uh, you you just hear a server off camera ordering lobster rolls as if that is the only thing that is served there and it's been a while since i've been there maybe it is i
1: don't think so. <laughs> no they have other things now
3: I thought so. I actually worked there one weekend about 11 years yeah. ago. You're not the only person I know that have worked there one weekend. So I, I need a be- little service <laughs> bar. It rained like mad the first day, and boy, was it busy. I'm sorry. Yeah. I <laughs> oh, that's good. And, and it's important.
1: T- it's important historical context that we're getting into.
3: Here, Absolutely. So. Just a <laughs> My short, happy life as the bartender.
2: <laughs> I say happy,
3: I'm happy. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> I, I I
0: think that the you know the that the roundabouts and the traffic circles are are um becoming more and more and more popular and um and I know that there was you know, one one intersection coming you know West Hampton to you know to to Riverhead is at one hundred four and one hundred five there that yeah. I mean there there were fatal accidents there for one hundred four
4: and thirty one I think
0: yeah that's what I'm thinking yeah thirty one. Yeah. And, well, uh, we're set to get a roundabout at the bottom of my street, uh, two yeah. miles of water.
1: Um, Stephen, <laughs> I could not be more excited. I am really, really looking forward to that. Being someone who's usually on the less traveled side of the roundabout, you take your life in your hands when you try to cross um, that intersection. Um, at most I, times I think the, it just
0: makes makes things a, a lot safer. And
4: um, know, but When they get into these like two-lane roundabouts, though, they get that gets complicated. They get a lot trickier, and yeah. I, I think uh, you know we have the one on fifty route fifty eight um, yeah. Roanoke Avenue that's two lanes. and um, i I don't have Gavineau. any
0: problem. I don't have any the problem on
4: Riverside, you know <laughs> well, once you get used to it, like I mean yeah. there were guess, like yeah. like four crashes a day there at least when they first <laughs> <So> if <laughs> you
1: ever get to Paris, you have to go look at the one around the Arc de Triomphe. because there's I think eight lanes in that round. <laughs> that is just that's it good. just makes your head spin just watching that one and,
0: and, and as chris said you just got to know to yield to the left and don't ever stop that, <laughs> I, and that's the biggest mistake that i've seen people who aren't used to them and they get in the that's, middle of it and they stop to try to let traffic in to and let
1: new people in it's like boy, no it's hard it's just keep boy, you know, boy do
0: people get upset
4: <laughs> i was surprised i now i'm not going to remember what state i was in couldn't have i've the selection's not too broad. I never really go anywhere, but like I, I was somewhere else where the, the, um, the, the rules were the opposite where you had, you were supposed to stop. In uh, the yeah. That's not right. I thought that was like the stupidest thing ever. And I wonder if it that's why sometimes the... we see people like stopping. I haven't looked at their, like, their planks,
0: but seems that that right. kind of defeats the purpose.
4: Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: so we are, we are winding down here. We're almost out of time. Um, this has been Behind the Headlines on WLIW. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. I want to thank uh, my co-host Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. Thank you, Annette. And our, well. and our our panelists, um, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister um, from Newsday and Christopher Walsh from the, the East Hampton Star. Thank you, guys. We are going to be off for the uh, next few weeks. For a much-deserved um, holiday break, we will be back on January 13th. So we'll see you then. Um, thank you guys for um, for being on this week, and um, everybody have a nice holiday.
4: Happy Thanks. New Year. Happy New Year.
2: Thank you. Happy holidays.